Welcome to the Oak Shape Podcast Season 6 with your host, Dan the Fitness Man. Thank you for tuning in. We are excited to have you. This is the podcast that is dedicated to hard work, disciplined decisions, and year-round training in the pursuit of the best possible version of ourselves. We leverage elk hunting to create a pathway. We understand that time is finite and we cannot squander a second. We must be leaders at our home. We understand that faith is our number one priority. Then family, then fitness, then health, then wealth. Our year-round disciplined decisions help us leave a legacy for our family to follow. You will leave here motivated, inspired, and educated. We bring on a wide variety of guests subject matter experts so that you can tune in, get what you need to get, and continue on your journey. We are blessed to call ourselves Elk Hunters Season 6. Here we go. Friends, welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast. Today we're going to sit down with Joel. He runs Whitetail Fit. I met him at Western Expo. He came and did a workout with the Elk Shape Squad. Super nice guy. He's been getting into elk hunting. He lives in Nebraska, obviously with the name like Whitetail Fit. He's into whitetails, but he's dabbled enough with elk hunting. We're going to talk about his elk hunting learning curve, learn a little bit about Whitetail Fit and what that's all about, and get to know the dude. Uh, He seems very positive, energetic, and enthusiastic about bow hunting. So join us. This is Joel from Whitetail Fit. Here we go. What would you get if you had a $5,000 Vortex Optics shopping spree? For me, I'm getting UHD 10s or 12s. Definitely going to get a rangefinder like the 3000 or the 4000 Razor. What would you get? Are you in the market for a new spotter or a rangefinder from Vortex? Maybe some of their tripods that are made out of carbon because they're super light? You could probably get all that and then some, plus an additional 500 bucks to shop at Vortex online apparel store. Vortex where? All you got to do is head on over to joinvortexnation.com for your chance to win. That's joinvortexnation.com. Sign up for their e-newsletter. Takes like 10 seconds, no catch. You're automatically entered. The deadline is March 31st. Get on it. All right. Well, we're live, and in, I don't even do small talk. I hit record because all the good stuff happens in pre-roll. So how was the uh, how was the expo and all the travel? Man, it was good. Travel was awesome, usually coming into Salt Lake City. So I flew. Um, I'm from Nebraska, just south of Lincoln. Usually when I fly into Salt Lake City, there's a little bit of turbulence, but the uh, the pilot had his had his stuff together and landed it fine and everything was good. So, but yeah, the expo went good. Saw a bunch of awesome people, obviously saw you out there. So it was good to finally meet you in person. Um, but, uh, yeah, man, it, it, it was good. How was the show for you? Well, likewise, it was great to meet you as well. And that was a gnarly workout we all did over at, uh, Ute CrossFit shout out to the gym owner, man. Um, that guy, Madison smoked us all. But no, our show was good. Get in and get out. Our flight home, dude, was like they oversold the flight. So like they were trying to bribe everybody to like take money to not go on the airplane. Oh, sure. So that took forever. And they finally got their five people bribed. And then we get off, like we check in and then we get down onto where you would load into a plane and there's a bus waiting for us. And there's a bus. Oh, yeah. Did you have that? We had that too. Yeah. They were like, apparently there was a bunch of construction at the uh, Salt Lake City Airport. So yeah, we got shuttled between a bus. We had to walk on the tarmac, whatever you call it, for like a while. 
Yeah, it was interesting. I've never had to do that before. And then we had to sit in the airplane for like an hour without taking off. And then we had insane turbulence. And it's a short flight, man, like hour and a half to Spokane. And it was just, we got home an hour and a half later than we're supposed to. And anyways, I was sick the whole expo, just spreading my germs to everybody. Hopefully you didn't get my, (laughs) but that workout, man, was definitely the highlight of that weekend for me because it was free. All you had to do was show up. Dana brought Black Rifle coffee for everyone to sip on. And there was that one dude in particular who didn't have a leg and he was an amputee and he was just in there just giving her and everybody, yeah, everybody was super cool and just there to work hard. And so looking back, that was my highlight. How about you? Yeah, man, I think so too. I think every, every time I go to the Western Hut Expo, my highlight is, is probably just that I get to see a lot of people that I don't, um, you know, get to see on a regular basis who are like, who I consider really, really good friends, but we just live States away, you know? So like, it's, it's kind of a nice little meeting that we all kind of get to get, get together and and share stories and plan for the year to come. You know, I've got buddies out there that I'm playing in hunts, um, this fall with, and it's just good to see everybody in person. But that workout was definitely, like you say, one of the highlights. And I think it was cool to just see like at that workout, there was, there was just about, um, every level of, I guess, physical fitness and everybody got it. Like everybody got in there and worked hard. And I think I love to see that with a group workout. It's just everyone, everyone's busting ass and everybody's getting it and just having a good time. So yeah, that one was solid, man. Well, that's cool. Um, so I've known about whitetail fit for a little while. Um, most of the stuff I've seen has has been like all really positive, you know, cool stuff. But you do certainly have some haters. We'll talk about that. But let's talk about how you got to the point where you could do Whitetail Fit full time and more of the why behind you wanted to do that. Yeah, definitely. So I started Whitetail Fit back in 2016. Um, I grew up so I grew up without knowing anybody who bow hunted. When I started bow hunting, I was the only one I knew who bow hunted for like two years until I met Wes, my buddy, which I hunt with a ton now, um, or still hunt with at church. He was a bow hunter as well. And I, I just, I didn't know anybody. I was younger. I was like 12 years old and, um, no, nobody in my family hunted. So my dad bird hunted when he was in college. Um, tell me if I'm screaming into the mic, I feel like I'm screaming, but audio's good. Audio's money. Okay, sweet. Um, so anyway, my dad bird hunted in college, and uh, since then he's never big game hunted or anything like that. And I kind of got into it with just watching the the old VHS tapes. You know, the in the Midwest it was the Jury Outdoors tapes, the Monster Bucks, the Real Tree um, stuff like that. So I got really interested with it, and I grew up on an acreage, so we had wildlife around. We had cornfields in the backyard. And I was always seeing deer and turkey and stuff like that. And I've always been into fishing ever since I can remember and just the outdoors in general. So um, that kind of sparked a little bit of interest in me to start hunting. And, you know, I started watching a lot of those VHS tapes, like I say, and guys like Michael Waddell were a lot of times they were bow hunting. And I just something in me, I just saw something really cool with bow hunting. So um, for Christmas one year. I asked my parents, I was like, well, if you guys buy half the bow and I buy half the bow, you know, can I get a bow? And I think my parents are kind of scratching their head. Like, 
why does he want to get into bow hunting? Like nobody in our family bow hunts, you know? So, um, it was kind of just like early on, it was, it was like a passion and a route that was just kind of me, you know, I don't know how else to explain it, but it was just, it was something deep there. And, and, uh, I kind of ran with it at an early age. And ever since then, man, I've always wanted to get into spreading and sharing just my love for the outdoors, my love for bow hunting. And, um, when I came out of high school, I came out of high school, like 128 pounds, just dripping wet. I was a pretty small kid and I just wasn't happy with, you know, who I was in like physically and stuff, you know, you kind of have those insecurities and self-conscious about certain things. And, and, uh, so anyway, I found the gym, I have a, uh, a buddy who was going there very regularly and he kind of introduced me to it and started going to the gym with him, got pretty serious with it when I was around 18, 19 years old. And since then that has been like, uh, you know, an additional passion to my bow hunting and just hunting in general and spending time outdoors. So the whole whitetail fit thing kind of came about with, I knew I wanted to have an avenue to have a voice and to share my love for the outdoors and my love for fitness. And two, it was just like, I've always, always wanted to do that. So it, it was like, how do I do that? I don't know how to do that in an age where, you know, 2016, it was still fairly TV dominant. And now we're starting to see that transition. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you see it too, with like social media has kind of taken over a lot of like um, the industry and they're starting to go a lot of, a lot, more towards that route. So there is an avenue there that like, I kind of just got in at the right time to be able to, to really grow and spread and, and, um, just share my love and share my passions. And, and, you know, I didn't know that I was even able to do it full time until I was like several years deep. It took a while to get to the point where, you know, there was any type of actual quote unquote income coming in because I was working full-time construction before that. I, I worked construction for 13 years and uh, I was a foreman on the construction company and I would do a lot of concrete work. I came from concrete. All my brothers had done construction. Uh, my dad's an engineer. My grandpa was a carpenter, eventually became an engineer. So there was just a lot of like hard manual labor <laughs> within the family line. And uh, it was just kind of like the route that I took, you know, it, it was what I understood. It's what um, was surrounding me. And so it wasn't until I've been doing it full time now for June will be three years. So it wasn't for several years that I even realized any type of income from it. And even now, man, I'm like, you know, it's a sacrifice to do what you love. You know, I drive a 2004 Chevy Cavalier with like 200,000 miles on it. You know, my, my hunting rig is a, is an one seven, three diesel that I bought for $5,000 and just put a, put a bunch of hard work into it, fixed all the rust on it, put a new box on it, put some wheels and tires on it, put a cab on it. And that thing's got like 371,000 miles, you know, but it's paid off. And that's, that's the biggest thing is like to do this. It is like, it's tough. Like to actually make a quote unquote living with it. It is like, tough. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. You know what I mean? So, but it's my passion. It's what I love. And, um, you know, with the whitetail fit thing, I loved whitetail hunting and I loved fitness. It was never 
it's funny because I've, I've got that question early on with podcasts and stuff like that is like, why do you think you need to be fit to hunt whitetail? That's kind of like one of those. And that's where like some of, I guess some of, if I do have like haters or whatever per se, some of it stems from like, oh, you think you need to, you know, be buffed to hunt whitetail. It's like, no, I have a passion for whitetail hunting and I have a passion for fitness. And that was just the, that was just the name of the brand that I landed on. Now, I will say it doesn't hurt to be in shape in all aspects of life. Um, it helps mentally. It helps get you up in the morning. It helps give you structure and drive and something to, you know, be passionate about and be dedicated towards. So like altogether, the whitetail fit thing technically is like, I just like whitetail hunting and I like fitness. So take it for what it is, I guess. But yeah, that's kind of how I started and how it kind of came up. Yep. I love it, man. I like your humble beginnings. I like the blue collar background. I like that you're mentioning there's a lot of sacrifice involved for chasing your passion and your dream. And it's a little bit, I mean, I don't know how people could hate on somebody who's passionate about something and is willing to chase it over money. Because I know you'd be probably well ahead being a foreman in this era in construction. I'm sure of it. But do you want to chase money? Or do you want to chase time? And do you want to wake up every day and do what you're passionate about? Um, let me give you a let me give you a pro tip on your rebuttal for the whitetail fit thing. Also, if you don't want to be a fat <laughs> the rest of your life and have a heart attack, hey Jake, edit that bad word out. By the way, <laughs> whitetail fit means that you're staying fit so that you can hunt a lot longer in life. Obviously, we already talked about hunting well. And fitness is never going to hurt you. But we're talking about longevity and continuity. And I don't think that gets mentioned enough. So whitetail fit could mean, hey, I want to be fit to hunt whitetails until I'm 80 or dead. I don't want to be in a nursing home. I don't want to miss another November because I physically can't do it or I'm injured or I'm on the sidelines. So do you want to spectate or do you want to participate? Your fitness could help you. Um, tell everybody about your day-to-day -day because I'm pretty sure a foreman – is getting up crack of the dawn at the job site, lining everybody out. And if any mistakes happen, it's going to fall on your shoulders. So it's high pressure stakes and you're moving and grooving job site to job site. But that's not what you do anymore. So what do you do all day? You just work out and shoot your bow all day? <laughs> no, I mean, as, as you know, there's a lot on the business side of behind the scenes with what we do um, that a lot of people don't see. Uh, but I will say I have way more time now to do things that I do love and I'm passionate about way more than I did when I was working construction. Cause yeah, when you're working construction, it was 50 hours a week minimum and you're showing up at the job site bright and early. And if you're not 15 minutes early, then you're late. And, uh, you know, growing up with that mentality and that mindset, um, it did, you know, construction gave me a good base. It gave me some structure and I learned a lot from it. There's a lot that I can do with my hands that, uh, you know, you look around now and not to say that the world is soft, but the world is soft. You know what I mean? <laughs> like there's things that you learn from hard manual labor that throughout life, you're always going to be able to use. So I will never regret working construction and, um, you know, just that life. It, it's a different life. It's a hard life, but it, you learn so much from it. So um, I was blessed in, in being able to come up in that and, you know, there's, there's a ton of benefits to it, but the day to day to now is 
I'm waking up in the morning and I'm first thing I'm doing is eating my breakfast. I'm making usually eat four eggs in the morning and a couple pieces of toast or oatmeal, depending on, uh, you know, what I got going, how soon I'm going to be working out. But then I'll try to go to the gym, get my workout in early if I can. If I can't, I usually end up sometime three or four o'clock in the evening after I've done basically going through doing editing from. So this last year, I self-filmed pretty much everything. So um, that hopefully is going to change this year. I'm looking at hiring a full-time videographer for the fall. But uh, so last year, I self-filmed everything. So I've got a backlog of footage. On that backlog of footage, now I'm starting to put my hunts together for the YouTube channel as well as the social media. I'm making reels, um, TikTok content, Instagram content, YouTube content, answering emails, helping partners out with things that they need done. Um, and honestly, I have a lot more time now to be there for uh, like my friends and family if they need help. So that's that's something that's been huge for me too is just having the time now to like really focus on things that matter to me um, from the friends and family side. So I'm, I'm able to be there a lot more for those who might need me. You know, my grandpa's, my grandpa's 96 years old. So he, uh, you know, he takes some assistance at this point. Um, so my mom is down there helping him a ton. So I'm helping out where I can with the family, but past that, just enjoying life, man. I, I, I couldn't ask for a better lifestyle. You know, money's not money's not just like, you know, pouring in like a waterfall, but I couldn't be happier. You know, there's a lot of things in life that that money can't buy and I'm at that point where like money can't buy the happiness that I have now. You know what I mean? Mm, that's powerful, man. I respect that. Well, a lot of folks want to know and I'm just observing the messages I'll get is how do you do it? Like what, how do you actually make a living? And I haven't really done a podcast on how, like my business model or whatever, but um, it started very similar to you as far as just kind of dabbling in it and then going forward. At some point you have to decide to go all in. And then when you do, it's super scary. It doesn't hurt to have your finances a little bit organized and dialed. So you're not like up to your eyeballs in debt, obviously, but you know, you are chasing a passion, but like, so I guess the, the folks will want to know like, okay, so how does Joel make a living? Is it, is, does YouTube pay your bills? I probably know better than, I mean, I know the answers to these, but they're going to want to know, are you a YouTuber? Do you just sit around and make cool videos all day and um, break it down a little bit on revenue as well as how the heck you learn to film? What do you film on? What do you edit? Basically there's guys that want to steal your job. So I always like to share tell them how to do it and then wish them good luck and say, go take my job. Yeah, definitely. So, so like I say, work in construction full-time, I was, I was also doing, I was building this brand behind the scenes, you know, working that you work the 50 hours a week on the normal job. The second you get home from it, I was grinding on whitetail fit and trying my best to build a brand around it. So I knew that if there was going to be any source of income, it had to come from likely partnerships um, which partnerships is probably the largest, uh, part of my, of my actual income stream, but you've got partnerships, you've got merch. So I've got the whitetail fit gear line. So I'm selling hats, t-shirts, hoodies. Um, I wholesale for a couple of companies. So like Kings camo is one of my partners. So I wholesale certain items for Kings. I sell like tents and sleeping bags and stuff like that on my website. 
Um, along with that, you've got re YouTube revenue, which right now the YouTube revenue is not like crazy. It's, it's, I don't know, four or 500 bucks a month. I mean, it's nothing crazy right now. So, um, that is one thing again, why I'm looking to hire a full-time videographer to just step up the amount of income. Two videos a week is what I'm looking at doing. And, um, by doing that, I know that it comes, it, the growth comes with, um, consistency on YouTube. I'm sure you've seen that before. You've been crushing the channel for sure, especially the last year. It's just like, it's, it's inspiring to see guys like you absolutely killing it. And that's kind of what I'm trying to work towards is find that videographer, have them around all the time, have help with editing uploads, be on a schedule. So that's, that's going to become a much bigger part of the brand here this year. Um, but yeah, there's multiple sources of revenue, but when I first jumped into it full time, like I said, I was working full-time construction. So I was making a little bit of money on the back end with Whitetail Fit. And it wasn't until I really, I really sat down. What year would that be? So almost three years ago now, I really sat down. And I put all the finances down on the table. Like, what am I making in construction? And what am I making with Whitetail Fit? And where I was at with construction, I was like right there. Like they were pretty balanced with what I was making with Whitetail Fit and construction. So there for about a year, I basically had two incomes. So I saved everything I possibly could. Basically my entire construction income for a year, I threw in savings and I just banked it. Cause I knew when I want to go full time, there's no guarantees. Like this could fall flat on its face. Who knows with anything, you know, it with any venture in life, it's like when you take a risk that big, you you really should have some backing behind it. And I was, I was at least smart enough to do that, that when I quit, I had my bank account with basically a year's worth of construction income already saved. So if shit hit the fan, it was like, we're good to fall back at least a year's worth of income. So that was the approach that I took with it. And I'm glad I took that approach because obviously there's a lot of like, there's a lot of overhead with hunts. You know, and when you're trying to gather gather content on this large of a scale and this many hunts throughout the year, like I the amount of money I spent on fuel this last year in my truck is like laughable, like it unreal. So um, there's just a lot of money that goes into the back end of basically put putting investing back into the brand so that you can have that growth and that next step. Um, like I say, for me, that next step is full-time videographer who can also help with editing. And, uh, so yeah, that's kind of like a little bit about the different revenue streams, how you're able to make money doing this. Um, but yeah, I mean, and there's always like stuff you can do on the side too. Every once in a while, I'll help my brother with a flooring job or just random stuff, you know, pick it up here and there. Um, I buy, sell and flip four wheelers, you know, just like that side hustle. So it's like doing that stuff on top of what the income is with my partners and the YouTube and the clothing and stuff like that. It, it definitely makes a nut, you know, for sure. So, um, and I get to live the life that I love. So that's the biggest part of it. Man, I love it. I like your transparency too. People really will find this podcast interesting. The more real you are, which is really cool. The I, I've always erred on the side of probably showing too many of my cards, but like I said, that's kind of my style. Um, 
when it comes to merch, you do a really good job. Um, are you a graphic designer by day as well, or do you have to hire that out? Yep. No, all of uh, all of the designs aside from there's been two. So this is one of the runs that I did not design because on on the back, it's got a pretty intricate um, like don't tread on me type logo. Um, those ones I hired out to Zulu six. I don't know if you've ever heard of that company. Yeah. Yep. Um, so those ones I hired out to Zulu six, other than that, most everything you see on the website, if it's not like a super, super intricate design, I probably did it. Uh, 90% of my stuff I do anymore. It's like pretty simplistic designs that are pretty easy for me to come up with on a MacBook. Uh, but yeah, I learned <laughs> it's just stuff like that. It's like, I never thought I would learn anything graphic design in my entire life. Like, why would I have any need for it? Well, now I jump full time into this and it's like, well, I can either pay a graphic designer like $2,000 to design a, say, seven or eight, nine T-shirt spread. Or I can save two grand to do it myself and go with a simplistic look, which actually ends up selling better than most of my intricate designs anyway. So um, it's just looking at little stuff like that. It's like, where can I where can I save that little bit of money? Do it myself and see the returns from it. It's pretty interesting to hear you, you know, speak about the construction background. And then nowadays you need to know how to run a camera. You need to know how to not only film, which most people film manually. So that means that you have to understand a lot about videography, just working a camera, ISOs, shutter speeds, frame rates, different style of lenses, and then cool stuff like gimbals and drones and B-roll and then narration and writing and telling a story. So all that. And then you have to learn how to do fulfillment. I mean, if you're going to have a store, you got to learn how to do fulfillment and how to do it efficiently. Um, before you do that, you got to learn how to get a product out there that's got some good graphics and it stays true to your brand. I mean, it could be overwhelming for someone listening. So start small. You can do a lot of cool stuff on an iPhone. You can, there are other entities out there that can handle your fulfillment. So I'm all for people. I'm all the mo the merrier. I think there's plenty of cake for everybody, but I always like to talk to guys like you and kind of show behind the scenes. It's not just barbells and bows all day. It's a lot of hustle. Let's talk about the, uh, let's talk about the uh, ugly truth that you have partners, which to me means you have strings attached to you. You have boxes to check. You have obligations. How have you managed that as far as deliverables and keeping good relationships going forward? After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com waypoint. That's mintmobile.com waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com waypoint. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details.
Eating better is easy with Factors delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, which is the one I like, and Keto. Get started today and get after your goals. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 and use the code waypointpod50 to get 50% off. That's waypointpod50 at factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 to get 50% off. Yeah, it's, I, you know, I think um, being an open book with your partners is invaluable. But partners that I don't like to work with are ones that never communicate. And you'll see that across the industry, sometimes with like the bigger, um, I'm not trying to call anybody out or whatever, but like the bigger franchises, I guess, if you will, inside of the, inside of the hunting space, a lot of times they don't communicate very well, like, and you kind of have to like push to get any type of communication out of them. And that makes it so much more tough. I think the companies who have like a good marketing director and somebody who is going to communicate with you back and forth, you know, the second you send out an email, they're emailing back. The second you ask a question, text, call, whatever, they're there on the line, they're talking to you. Those are those are some of the better relationships I think is when a certain company has like a solid marketing director um, who's there to communicate. So just working the back end of deliverables and stuff like that is um, it can be tricky at times, but as long as you know, you know, upfront in your contracts per se, like if you know what your deliverables are and they are aware of what they are and you're hitting those deliverables, I've always tried to hit the deliverable and then go above and beyond because by doing that, you know, you're always in the safe zone and likely the next year, you know, it's another sign on. So like you said, it's kind of the ugly. I don't know if it's even ugly part of the industry, but it's just like it's it's definitely a part of the industry that if you if you want to do it full time, there's no other way around it. You have to have partners. I mean, unless you're just like unless you just got like the marketing machine and you're the man, you know what I mean? But past that, partners are a very large part of the income stream. Well, that's cool, man. Um, well, let's talk about the negative side of doing what you do for a living. Like, there's one guy in particular I know who's got a heart on for you. Um, I don't follow him, but it's like make hunting great again. I mean, he'll he'll pick on anyone, but I've seen him pick on you quite a bit throughout. What's his deal? Why does he love you? Why does he love to hate you so much? <laughs> I don't know, man. I find it flattering anymore. Like the thing about all of that is, is just like that, just, that just, to me, it kind of shows like a, it just shows like a weakness, man. It's like a weak mentality and somebody who wants to go out of their way to quote unquote hate on somebody who's just living out their dream and living out their passions and, and doing, you know, I, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm a fairly positive person and I feel like I try to, you know, get, get out there and spread a positive word about hunting, but then you see a page like that post something up and it's like, they're making fun of how short I am or whatever. It's like, I've never, I've never said I'm not short. Like, obviously 
you know, I'm five, seven, five, eight on a good day. If I have the right shoes on, you know what I mean? So it's like, it's, it's just funny. It's like, if that's all they have to poke fun at, then like, I'm good. You know what I mean? It just, to me, it kind of shows like an insecurity in pages like that. And anymore, I kind of have, it's like a funny thing to me at first, it kind of got on my nerves. Like, you know, when you are first starting and you're really like really struggling to try to make it when somebody has a negative comment or something to say about you, it does dig a little bit deep. You know, you're like, man, all I'm trying to do is do good. And I'm trying to build this platform and like, I'm having fun. I'm being positive. Like, why is this guy coming at me? And then when you sit back and realize like that dude's like just on another level of hater and he's hating on everyone, it just kind of like, it's kind of like, it just washes out and it's kind of funny to watch anymore. They're around, you know what I mean? But I get 99% love. Like I I have an awesome, awesome follower base who just like, I've been very blessed and so yeah, if there's a one if there's a one percent hate rate, I'm good with that. No, that's understandable, and I I think you we probably both understand that's kind of what you're signing up for when you put yourself out there. Uh, there's going to be a percentage, hopefully small, but you know that are going to come at you a little bit. And I do think the bigger you get, the easier it is to to brush it off. But it's you're still a human. You still want to be liked. But you're you got to come to the re- realization at some point, not everyone's gonna like you, especially if you have a bigger personality or whatever. So I, for one, I rub some people the wrong way, not intentionally, but I've always chosen to just be who I am, and you just let the chips fall where they where they may be. But um, I I respect that. And let's talk about elk hunting, man. You've been elk hunting. How many years have you been out chasing? bugling bulls out west so with the elk shape podcast audience we want to let you know about all our partner discount codes or calls to action save you some loot get you some good gear kufaru we finally have a discount code elk shape 15 any purchase except for shelters i run the hoodlum jake runs the hoodlum get yourself the duplex light frame or the tactical i have both i would say the tactical is a little bit better for colder weather whereas the skeletonized duplex light works a little bit better in early season like august and september discount code elk shape 15 with the vortex optics discount code you have to go to eurooptic.com enter the discount code elk 10 it'll save 10 percent off any vortex glass we also have vortex wear discount code 20 percent off all vortex wear for your scouting date night or workout gear enter the discount code elk shape and it'll get you 20 percent off onyx elite membership enter the discount code elk shape it'll take 20 percent off you will get the elite membership all 50 states plus access to the digital publication from hunting full you'll also get a hunt reminder membership included as well as top rut and other perks onyx has been in the game the longest take advantage next is numa outdoors that's the hunting clothing we wear in the backcountry into the discount code ElkShape20 to save 20% off. MagView, this is the digiscoping solution made easy. The discount code is ElkShape. It'll take 10% off. Get the A1 and the B1. Definitely for your spotter and your bino. It pairs nicely. And uh, it's just a little magnet strip on the back of your phone. You don't have to have a silly phone case. Wilderness Athlete, new discount code for 2023. It is ElkShape23. That'll knock 20% off. Look for the ElkShape stack or the September stack. And ladies, the Mrs. ElkShape stack as well. Black Ovis is where I get my gear. The discount code is ElkShape. It'll take 10% off. Fast and free shipping and the best customer. 
customer service. Black Rifle Coffee Company, whether you want to become a member and have the subscription to where coffee is delivered to your door in the cadence that you prefer, or you want some BRCC swag, coffee mugs, and even RTDs now, enter the discount code Elkshape, save 15% off anything at blackriflecoffee.com. Fatty meat sticks, a great, healthy, non-GMO, crappy, salty. No, this is the best tasting meat stick on planet Earth. Discount code ELKHUNTER gets you a little 5 to 10% off depending on what you buy. Check out fatty meat sticks, sheep feet, orthotics for your feet. Discount code ELKSHAPE, take 10% off your sheep feet. I have two pairs. I always have a pair in my boots and my workout shoes. I have high arches. That really helps. At first, I was a naysayer. Now, I'm a believer. Sheet Feet works really well for me. Could work really well for you. Put it in your boot. The Elk Collective, the number one digital elk hunting resource. You want to get going on elk hunting, you can practice and learn from others. So instead of listening to one person preach about how to elk hunt, it's an army of subject matter experts teaching their ways of hunting elk. Discount code ELKSHAPE podcast, all one word. We'll get you a discount to theelkcollective.com. So I've killed I've killed three bulls the last three years. And before that, I went my first elk hunt ever was I didn't even have the tag. I was just calling for my buddy Wes, who I mentioned earlier. Um, I was calling for him. He drew a tag in Wyoming. None of us had been elk hunting before. That was 2017, I believe. So went out on my first quote unquote, you know, elk hunt without a tag. I was just calling and filming. We ended up killing Wes killed a, I think he killed a 285 six by six. And then his dad missed like a 315 bull at like 10 yards. He was so shook up. His dad was just like, you know, shaking. He was shooting fingers on an old school boat, just old school hunter. You know, you love it. Like he's shooting like old, old wheel bow. And uh, so it was just a fun experience. And then since then, um, all of my elk hunts that I've had a tag on aside from Colorado last year, I didn't kill in Colorado last year, but I killed in New Mexico last year. So, or two years ago, I, I forget it's 23 now, but so yeah, the last three years, um, I've killed a bull every year. So, well, let's get into it a little bit. So I like to relate to anyone listening who doesn't live out West or is at the beginning of the elk hunting learning curve, or maybe they're like me and they've killed a handful of elk, but they understand the slate gets wiped clean every year and it doesn't matter. You can't go back on your, your laurels of historical success. That's not how this thing works. So your first three years of success, what do you think the average time you set aside for the hunt and how many days did it take you? Let's go year by year. How many years did it take you till you punch your tag? I killed the first year I had a tag. The first, the first year that I actually possessed an elk tag, I, you know, that said Joel on it, I killed with it. Um, but that, that comes from like, I already, I already knew how to hunt coming into it, like pretty extensively. Um, elk I've learned from some of the best of the best. I don't know if you, I'm sure you know who Eric Chester is. He's one of my good buddies with, with get hushing. Um, Eric taught me a ton about elk hunting, um, just being around them, talking to them, shed hunting with them, just, just soaking everything that he had to say in learning a lot of stuff online, um, and just going out and, and rolling the dice and hoping it works. Um, the first bull I ever killed was Idaho and I killed it on the last day coming out. I think that was day seven or eight. Um, we're actually on the hike out 
we were hiking back out midday um, to hike back to the truck. And I killed my bull on the way back, spotted him from across the canyon, got down, made a move, um, spot and stock ended up shooting him. So, um, but on average, I would say every hunt on average, I mean, we're killing bulls deep into the hunt five, six, seven days. Last year I spent 23 days out West, 19 days actually hunting and the rest of the days were like scouting and driving, um, hunting for elk. I killed my elk last year on day 13 of actually elk hunting. So I spent, I spent six days hunting mule deer and I spent 13 days hunting elk and, uh, for elk. Yeah. I killed on day 13. So a lot of time in the field, but I think that's one of the biggest factor with elk is if you have the time, like time in the field can punch tags if you're doing the right things, obviously, but I've always thought that with all of my tags, though, white tail tags and everything else is just the more time you have a field, I think your opportunity goes up quite a bit. And um, your knowledge, every single time you go out, you learn something new. I'm constantly, especially like elk hunting. I don't live out west. I live in, I live in Nebraska. So every time I go out west, I'm always learning something every single time I go out. Um, and a lot of it is just. I throw myself into the fire with elk hunting. I mean, I just like, I pick a spot on the map. I start hiking. Hopefully there's elk there, you know, I mean, based off certain things that you're looking for, but it's like, when you throw yourself into the fire on hunts like that, you learn a lot really, really fast. So what's the sweet spot for those listening? Let's say they live in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, and they're headed to Wyoming or Colorado. They got 24 to 36 hours of windshield time on the way there and on the way back. They got to find a place to hunt. They got to find elk. Is this, is this seven days enough? Is 10 days enough? Like, what do you think that minimum is just historically speaking from your experience to where maybe guys realize, man, a 14 day hunt really is two and a half days of driving. Plus we got to like move locations a few times and there could be other hunters or there could be wolves in the area that we had planned or G bears or, or just maybe the elk aren't talking and uh, you and I are hunting partners and I want to call for you one day and then you're going to call for me. We're going to flip flop. So like our 11.5 days really is I get five and you get five and that's bearing no like drama with somebody wounds a bull or even if you kill, we got to get it off the mountain. Truck breaks oh. down on the drive out. You spend a day that's, in a hotel. Yeah. Oh, and that's going to happen, man. So like wh what's the number of days somebody should set aside safely to do it proper? I think you know, I've been able to get away with seven to 10 days of actual hunting. That's not included, including drive time. So if you're talking drive time, you've got, say you're come, you know, from, from way out East, if you've got two days driving there and two days driving back, I'm going to say 14 days get, so you have like 10 days set aside, no matter what, from the time you're stepping out of the truck, chasing bugles or early season, sitting on water, whatever you're doing. Day one starts when you step out of the truck with your bow. Day 10 ends when you put your bow back in the truck and you're headed home. So I, I would say seven to 10 days if you want to do it right. And you're and here's the thing. If you're putting that much time and that much effort and that much money into coming out west, I'd call the boss and say, dude, I need another three days. I mean, 
try to schedule that, especially if you're going to schedule it way, way out. Um, try and get enough time off of work that you can squeeze that seven to 10 days. A lot of people don't have, you know, some people don't have the PTO to do that. And when I was working construction, I didn't. What I did was I asked for the time off way in advance and it was completely fine that I could take the time off as long as I made it up when I got back. So when I got back, I was working overtime and I knew that going into it. So and it's just the sacrifices you want to make if you're, if you're really wanting to get out there and do it right. Um, and, you know, I'm not married. I don't have any kids, but if you've got a wife and kids, that's also something you need to talk with them about is, you know, it's their sacrifices at home that I'm quite sure husbands and wives are making. If, you know, if you're one of those gals getting out here, getting after it, all the respect. And, uh, you know, there's things back home that I'm quite sure they need to take care of before they leave and the understanding that, Hey, I'm going to be gone for 14 days and 10 days of elk hunting kind of just get all that in order before you go out. So the fact that you killed on day 13 or the year in Idaho where you killed hiking, you were like, we are hiking out to the truck to be done. Speak to the audience based on the mindset of you're never out of the game until you're completely back to the truck and turning it on and leaving. Like, what did it take for you to mentally stay sharp? Because there's a lot of seduction day six or seven. It's really hard to hunt as hard as you did day one, day 10. There, there is the literally seduction going on to stay in your warm, cozy sleeping bag when it's really cold outside of your sleeping bag. And it's very much dark and you really don't haven't had great luck going six days in to talk yourself into doing that hard stuff, knowing that you're not going to kill them from the tent. So how do you stay in the game mentally um, deep into a hunt? I think a lot of it is just like how much passion you have for hunting in the first place. But also, you know, it's, I talked to, gosh, I forgot what his name was. I talked to a kid about this who was on another podcast. He, he actually did talk himself off the mountain like day four. And then we were talking about it and he was like, now this year I'm going back and I'm absolutely going to spend that seven days. I'm not coming off the mountain. And he turned around and did it this year. He, he'd messaged me back and he'd done seven days. I think it was Colorado. Um, he went out and did it. And it was like, what on day four broke you at what, at what point did you break mentally and say, I want to get out of here. And for him, he was like, my feet were hurting. Um, you know, I was texting my girlfriend back home and she was missing me. I'm missing her. And he's out on, on basically it was a lot more than he expected both physically and mentally. So if you're going into the hunt, ex like expect coming into the hunt, that you're going to go through, you're going to miss your family. You're going to miss that warm bed. You're going to miss the good meals. You know, you're, you're eating these freeze dried meals every single day. Seems like it's the same food. Um, I mean, there's different ways to pack to make that a little bit easier on yourself, but there's certain things, there's certain luxuries you're going to start missing inside of 12 hours. You know what I mean? Like the second, the, the second, the hike starts to get hard you instantly start missing those luxuries. I mean, right away. So if you're able to take that mental block and just say, I am here for 10 days, I'm not coming out of the mountain. Or, you know, if you're not getting into elk, 
you go to the next spot and you try, try another drainage, try another spot. Whereas a lot of people, if you're going in, they don't find elk right away. It's like, Oh, there's no elk here. They hike back to the truck and they drive home. It's like, well, there are elk. They're just in another part of the unit doing something different, you know? So I think a big part of mentally getting yourself to a place that, uh, there's a Dodge charger ripping cookies in the parking lot in front of me right now. I can hear it. That's awesome. That's weird. Anyway. So there's, if you go into the hunt with the mentality of no matter what I'm staying in this, in this whole thing, this whole game of elk hunting I'm staying in, it just like, you have to kind of set the precedence ahead of time that that's what you're going to do. As far as like my, uh, my Idaho elk hunt seven days was like, that was the cap. I needed to get my buddy back to the airport and I needed to get back home for all sorts of stuff I needed to get done. And then Colorado this year, my mentality at Colorado. So I, like I said, I killed on day 13 of actual elk hunting. My whole mentality was I was going to spend all of September out there until I killed. If I wasn't, if I, (laughs) whether that's day two, which a lot of times, you know, if you get lucky and you get into some animals, if you kill day two, awesome. But that's not necessarily always how it's going to be. So my whole mentality was just stay out there all September. I had my truck with me. I was able to sleep out of the back of my truck with a canvas cutter. Um, and, uh, when you go in with that mentality, that's like, this is my mission. I'm not diverting from the mission. You can get a lot more done, but if you let those little, those little thoughts of like the luxuries back home, my family's missing me. My friends are missing me. I'm missing out on someone's birthday or I'm missing out on someone's wedding or something like that. But if you already have that set in place in stone, you've taken time off work, you've paid a bunch of money. I mean, how much money are you spending in fuel and tag costs and everything to get out there? And then you're going to turn around and leave day three. You know, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of time. That's a lot of effort. So if you take all that into consideration, when you go out West, it's like it, it's all or nothing. It's all in. You got to stay after it. And that's, I don't know, it's easier said, easier said than done, I guess. But that's just always the mentality I've had. It's like, man, I'm investing a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of money into doing this. I'm going to give it my all. I'm going to give it everything I have. So, and I think that's partially like, you know, kill rates are what they are. And I'm not, I'm not holding out for crazy big bulls. Like a a branch bull is a solid bull to me. If it's archery, I'm going to kill it, you know? So um, I just think that's part of the mentality, I guess, that I've been able to kill three bulls in three years. It's just like just staying after it and not being picky. I love elk meat. So if I can shoot a branch bull or a cow or whatever else, like I'm I'm shooting it. Mm, there's some good stuff in there for sure. I think we should probably address a couple things you said just because I don't want those to get looked over. A lot of guys do break down because they don't think about what's going to break down on the mountain. Like everything starts from the ground up. So plan on getting blisters and hot spots and have something set aside to mitigate that. I run sheep feet. I, I, I believe in it. I used to be a naysayer. Have good boots. Make sure they're broken. I bring several pairs of boots that are broken with me. I almost change out boots daily. It's it's a weird thing that I do. Uh, but I, nothing sucks more than having feet that just want to quit on you. Missing your significant other it is a huge deal. And it's actually worse for me having kids. 
Uh, I love my wife. I've been married to her for 13 years, but I've been gone from her 13 Septembers, 14 if you count the year we dated, to where it's a program that she knows and I knows very well. I will, we will pick up where we left off when I return, and I guarantee you're going to get a better version of Dan when he returns. Uh, but with the kids thing, especially the older they get and the more things that they're doing, it's, you know, you're not elk hunting 24 hours a day. And if you hunt solo like I do, you're on the side of a mountain in a bivy tent, missing your family, waiting for the sun to come up. And your desire to kill has got to outweigh those things. The guy over my shoulder editing right now with headphones on can't hear me, but he don't want to admit it, but he bailed on me this year on one of our hunts because I know he was missing his girlfriend. I know that he would drive, he drove to town three days in a row to get cell phone service just to talk to her after hunting. Dude, that stuff adds up, you know, where he's, I mean, that's a lot of rest he could have got at camp, uh, a warm meal. He could have been studying maps, keeping his head in the game. And it didn't help that it hadn't stopped raining three days in a row. But I mean, we still were getting out there. And so your significant other, you can miss. So you kind of have to have like, you, ha- you almost have to like quit falling in love with the romance of elk hunting and distill it down to. Here are all the crappy things that are probably going to happen, and how are you going to mitigate them? Name a couple other ones just so they can write these down and start thinking about it going forward. Yeah, so one thing that you touched on with boots, that's a great thing to mention because same thing, I carry, I think I had three pairs of boots with me this year in the truck. If one pair would get wet, I'd swap them out to a new pair. Um, So boots, keeping your feet. I think another thing that's huge is good rain gear. If you're hunting in the rain and you, if you get soaked, I guarantee you're walking off that mountain when you're soaked and it's 28 degrees out. And now it's starting to sleet and hail. You're making your way back down to camp real, real quick. But if you have good rain gear and you kept all your stuff warm, you know, you're not soaked and you can, your puffy jacket's still good. Nothing's messed up. You can stay out there. The second the rain's And a lot of times when you're out there, if you have a big rainstorm come through, the second that rain's gone, you better start listening for bugles. And if you've already walked yourself off the mountain because you're soaked, there's bugles ripping off that you didn't even know were there. And you're already at the truck driving back down to camp thinking how you're going to dry your clothes out. So good rain gear is is huge. Good, just good clothing in general. Um, Not overpacking is another thing. I see a lot of guys throw like a, ton of weight in their pack and they're just completely drained by like 10 a.m you know the second they start hiking the trail they're just they brought too much food that they never even ate you know they brought more water than they needed when they could have if they know that there's water up there you could have just siphoned some water and got some you know fresh mountain water nice clean stuff um it's better to drink anyway but um you see guys packing like three, four water bottles. What it's like, that's a lot of weight. And we know that there's water up there, you know, just bring a Nalgene and a, and a filter system that weighs not even a 10th of four water bottles, you know? So I think guys, a lot of times overpack, um, but there's also guys who underpack, you know, there's guys who don't bring enough. Um, I'm, I'm really big on, uh, you know, I don't have any type of medical background or, um, I guess, survivalist background or anything like that, military, anything. So I need a medical kit. Like if I'm, I want to bring a medical kit and I want to know how to use everything in that kit. 
Um, in that kit, I'm going to have moleskin. If I get blisters or anything like that, I'm going to cut myself off a patch of moleskin, put it on my heel, and that keeps me hiking for the day. Um, you have a massive blister on your heel. You, not only does it physically hurt, but it will mentally wear on you throughout the day. Every time you take a step, your heels just ripping. Um, if you, if all you have is, if you would have just packed a little patch of moleskin with you, you'll be good. I mean, you slap moleskin on your heel when it's rubbing and you're, I mean, it's night and day difference. You're good to go. So, um, little things that you can pack to keep yourself going. I think there's a lot of them, but, um, something to start a fire, something, you know, to, I mean, eat that you actually like eating. I think that's a big one too, is like throughout the day, if all you're eating is the freeze dried meals that you don't necessarily like myself, my, my thing is like all year, I try to stay away from sugar as much as I possibly can during hunting season. I'm going to have some sour gummy, gummy worms or sour gummy bears. Cause it's just like a mental, like pick me up. I'm sitting on the side of the mountain. Everything sucks, but I have my gummy worms or I have my gummy bears. And it's just like a little something to like mentally trigger you to be like, life's not bad. You know, this mountain's pretty cool looking. We've got good views. We're hiking around fresh air. Um, I, and I think people, you know, if, if all you can think about on the mountain is how much this sucks, you're going to talk yourself off a lot sooner than if you're hiking and you're like, man, look at this beautiful day that God's given us. Look at the sunrise that I got to watch walking in. I'm here with one of my best buddies. You know, we're talking about life and it's just like, if you focus on more of the good, and I think that's throughout all of life, but if you focus on more of the good, more of the positive attitude, it'll get you way further than dwelling on like my foot hurts, dwelling on oh, now my clothes are soaked, dwelling on the negative things that are going to talk you off the mountain, dwell on the positive things. You know, you have the time to be out there enjoying nature and just chasing bugles. Like how many people get to, how many people get to, get to witness an elk bugling? Like not many. They're like, there's a very small percentage of people in the entire world who ever get to witness an elk bugle. And that's like one of the coolest things you'll ever see so it's like if you keep your head in in just a space of like positivity while you're on the mountain i think it it just helps a lot negativity like say in all aspects of life negativity is going to make you crash and burn so just stay positive i think is the biggest thing that's gold well said uh luco tapes another one as well as if you got a first aid kit obviously have reps with everything but know where your partner keeps their first aid kit and they should know where you keep yours that's a huge deal and hopefully you don't have to utilize that um you know jake's shelter his base camp when our base camp moves a lot he had a massive leak that he didn't know about and so those three days of rain that's another thing is man he couldn't get anything dried out because everything got soaked because his shelter wasn't vetted and uh, that can really bum you out and just trying to dry out is a is a massive bummer having a fresh set of clothes keeping an extra puffy and having a good shelter those are all good things last question for you sir uh you live in nebraska you're hunting elk at timberline in colorado is there anything that you can look back and be like this was a, a best practice to get me ready for that altitude um Yes. So one, what, and that's one thing with the whole whitetail fit. It's funny. Cause it's like, what's every Midwest whitetail hunters dream is to bow hunt elk during the rut. 
That's, I mean, you talk to any Midwest whitetail hunter and every single one of them, you ask them, you know, what's your dream hunt? I mean, not every one of them, but 90% of them are going to say, I want to bow hunt elk with my bow in the rut, you know, well, if you're coming from the Midwest and you're just diving straight into elk hunting, like you say, timber liner above or whatever, wherever you're hunting elevation wise, if you're not prepared for that, it's going to be like a very rude awakening. The sec, I mean, the second you get, the second you even drive up the mountain, you open the door and you're like, oh, the air is a little bit different here, you know, and then you start hiking and you really start feeling it. So one thing that I do coming from the Midwest to go out West is right now I'm kind of working on more of like a bodybuilding split. I'm just doing, you know, arm day, leg day, chest day, that type of thing. But as I get closer to my hunt, so usually in the summertime, once the weather starts getting good, I'll start running a lot more. I run quite a bit anymore. Um, and then closer towards late summer coming into August, I will switch up my routine to do high intensity training, a lot of body weight movements, a lot of uh, like medicine ball, wall balls type stuff, a lot of CrossFit type movements. Um, there'll be days where I'll just go on the on the CrossFit website and I'll just look up what's the wad of the day, pick one. Does it look like it's, you know, something I want to do that day? I'll just pick it and just do it. Um, so I'll start, I'll start heightening the intensity of my workouts the closer and closer it gets to the fall. And I will also, um, I go to, so I've got at, at the gym right next door to the gym is there's like a, it's like a sports and performance, like, um, oh, he does like chiropractic. He does like dry needling. He does cupping and stuff like that. So I will start getting all my joints, right. I'll start getting all my muscles, right. I'll stretch way more than I normally would before and after workouts. Um, I mean, you should always try to be stretching, but that time of year, I am focused solely on one, not getting hurt. Cause I did that before I slipped a couple of years ago. I slipped a disc in my back, like two weeks before the hunts. And it was like the worst thing I've ever gone through. Like mentally, I completely had to scrap my mule deer hunt. I was going to do a high country mule deer hunt in Utah, had the tag. I mean, money invested in the tag. Um, just had to throw that completely out the window. Cause I, 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 blew my back out like a week before that hunt. Um, I ended up getting out to Colorado and hunting elk, but it was like late, late September when I felt good enough to do it. And by that time, muzzleloader season had come in and it was very, very tough hunt. So my, my biggest thing coming into the hunt is, um, to stay injury free up the intensity of my workouts, get my joints, right. Get my muscles, right. Continue to stretch and by that time with all the high intensity stuff, I'll start to drop my body weight a little bit. So I'm not coming into season 10 pounds heavier than I need to be. That's, that's an extra 10 pounds of the pack I can put in. So, um, and my cardio is at a way higher level when I am just slightly lighter being a smaller frame guy. So I walk around like, like right now I'm 165 by summer. I'll probably be right at 170 ish. And then by the time the hunts come, I'll be like low sixties. And 10 pounds of fluctuation when you have the frame that I do, if you look at a guy who's like six foot two, 220, 10, my 10 pounds of fluctuation would be like that six foot two dudes, like 30 pounds of fluctuation or 25 pounds. So while 10 pounds doesn't seem like much for my 
stature and my body size, like it's quite a bit. So going, going from a heavier weight down to a lower weight, the closer I get to season, I just feel better across the board. And so, yeah, there's just different ways that I kind of implement the fitness side of stuff. Well, that's good stuff, man. Honestly. So guys listening, he pays way more attention to injury prevention and making sure things are doped in before the season. He ratchets up the intensity and he makes darn sure there's a purpose for every pound on his body. Well said, Joel. Uh, last but not least, Joel, where can people find you? Um, where are the best places to see some of your content? Awesome. Yeah. I appreciate you having me on buddy. This is a great podcast. Um, so if you want to look for any of my merchandise, it's on whitetailfit.com. Pretty easy to search just anywhere on Google. Just type in whitetailfit.com. The social medias, uh, if you type in whitetailfit on any of the social medias, it'll be TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, any and all social medias. It's just whitetailfit. So. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate your time. Guys, this podcast especially also really resounds. Separation is in the preparation We'll catch you on the next one.